Hello and welcome again to the Digital Sociology Podcast with me, Chris Till. And today I'm talking to Ben Jacobson and David Beer about their book, Social Media and the Automatic Production of Memory. This is a really interesting chat um, we have about the ways in which social media platforms, particularly Facebook, are using, uh, drawing on memory um, and sort of automating the process of memory through algorithmic systems and through classifying memories in certain ways and encouraging us to reflect back on our past engagements with, with the platform uh, as a way of keeping us engaged and encouraging us to use the platform more and therefore contribute to their, uh, the value of the platform. The discussion is built around uh, their book, which I've got links to in the podcast description, which I highly, highly recommend. It's a really, really fascinating book. As usual, keen to get any feedback you have on the episode or the series in general. You can find me on Twitter um, at Chris H. Till and you can find my blog at uh, thisisnotasociology.blog. So I hope you enjoy this chat and I'll see you at the end. So now we're talking to uh, Ben Jacobson and uh, and Dave Beer, um, and uh, we'll be talking about their new book that they've uh, written together, which is called Social Media and the Automatic Production of Memory, Classification, Ranking and Assorting of the Past, and that's uh, published by Bristol University Press. Um, so uh, Ben is an Associate Lecturer in Sociology at the University of York. He recently finished his PhD thesis, which was titled mediated memories in the age of the algorithm and this examines the intersection between algorithms and memory. He's previously published work on the politics of forgetting on Facebook and algorithms and the narration of past selves. Uh, We've also got David Beer who is a professor of sociology at the University of York as well and he teaches and writes about culture, media, politics and society. Specifically he's interested in how transformations in technology and media have reshaped culture and society and and has recently focused on the politics of data and metrics. Uh, he's the author of books such as um, The Quirks of Digital Culture, Georg Zimmel's Concluding Thoughts, The Data Gaze, um, Capitalism, Power and Perception, Metric Power and Punk Sociology, amongst others. So uh, Ben and Dave, uh, hi, thanks for coming. Hello. Hey. Hi, it's great hi. to have you here. So, um, uh, uh, and so I'm, I've read uh, this book um, that you've uh, written very recently, and I've read some of your previous work. Um, and I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan, um, and I really enjoyed really enjoyed this book. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's kind of a perfect fit for this for this podcast as well, which is focused on digital sociology and and kind of aligns with a lot of a lot of stuff I, I'm interested in, and and I think really helped to to for me to kind of highlight some things I hadn't thought quite about in relation to in relation to social media um, and book and connected that with lots of the kind of real kind of cutting edge anal- analysis and theorizing ar- around these uh, around these kinds of topics. So um, so the, yeah, the, the book's called Social Media and the Automatic Production of Memory. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about why you uh, why you focused on memory in this book? So maybe if we start with Ben. I think so. Where where it kind of came from, where where it started was, is that I was working on my PhD um, at the time, kind of looking at kind of algorithms and memory, and I had an idea about an article to write, um, as as kind of like a little bit of a side project, and I wanted to bring uh, Dave in because obviously he had obviously worked very closely with me, and kind of 
throughout the PhD project, uh, but also kind of kind of ideas of rankings and metrics, something that he's obviously an expert in. So, so I thought it would be a, an interesting thing to write together. Um, and I think as we kind of started writing it, we we kind of found that it kind of got a life of its own a little bit and it became quite big. And, and we already had the issue of when we had finished the article, it was about 10,000 words, which, which was kind of bigger than, you know, kind of a standard uh, article size. So we had kind of different choices whether to um, whether to kind of cut it down or, uh, or or kind of just to kind of go with that. But the problem is, is that kind of all the responses that we got back was e- either cut it down and trim it down to a proper article size uh, or do something else with it. And and we kind of over over Zoom, uh, we had a meeting and we were just decided, I think Dave suggested uh, kind of out of nowhere, should we, well, should we just turn it into a book? Um, which was a bit of a surreal thing. I'd never, I hadn't even considered uh, doing that. So that was very exciting. Uh, but actually, as we found when we, when we kind of put it into a Google document, and as we were kind of both fleshing it out, um, it was, it was very organic, and it kind of, it kind of wrote itself at that point because the ideas were already there. They kind of just needed space to breathe. Um, so that's kind of where it kind of started, uh, practically, I think. Uh, and then some of the ideas um, obviously came from. Kind of interest that we've already had in terms of you know kind of some of the theoretical engagements there but also kind of um, ideas of metrics and memory and data and stuff like that so was it the kind of the memories aspect which came first or the kind of the algorithms or were they kind of um uh, which part kind of came came to your kind of thinking first would you say uh, in terms of this book you mean yeah i think it, w- it was more um I think it was more kind of looking at one particular feature. Um, so it was kind of like the, the, the PhD project was very much about looking at a wide variety of features and platforms and, and apps that kind of somehow deal with memory, deal with kind of data that is being repackaged as memory. So in, in the PhD, it, it was kind of looking at right around 10 or 15 different features and platforms. Um, what I think was interesting is, is that the, the Facebook feature that we were looking at in this book, um, Facebook Memories, well, one sense it seemed very archetypal of, of a lot of the things that we're seeing now, um, and also just the, the the scope of it, because there it's a, it's got about 90 million daily users, um, and it's obviously it was obviously dealing with some of the things that we thought were very interesting, um, which obviously deal with kind of algorithms and machine learning and neural networks, um, but also in terms of just how many people use it. So I've been interviewing people in my project that had come across it that had used it. So that kind of provided an entryway into it. And that's obviously when we started digging into this feature and into how it's being used and conceptualized. It kind of just kind of exploded a little bit because there is so much research behind it. So, Could you tell us a little bit, just some context about what, what that, if people aren't familiar with it, what that Facebook memories feature does? Yeah, sure. So it's basically, it's, it's, it's one of, it's an integral part of Facebook, just the regular platform. And basically what it does is that it's it's a feature that you can access uh, on the platform, which basically shows you, here's a memory from five years ago. Here's you're hanging out with Steve three years ago in the park. So it's basically a way to kind of, kind of revisit your kind of past in kind of on the platform itself. So in terms of pictures that you've uploaded or posts that you've written or even things that you've been tagged in and things like that are being repackaged as memories. And typically kind of, you know, and they're kind of used to remind uh, kind of users of it, you know, here's a memory from five years ago. You can share it with people or 
And so you can you can both engage with it. You can go in and you can, you can basically just click on it on the app or on the platform. But you can also it's it's automatic as well. So even if you don't engage with it, the chances are you've come across it is quite high because they will from time to time resurfaces on your news on your news feed saying, oh, by the way, here's here's a memory from three years ago that you should probably look at and probably engage with. So so that is kind of the app in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it, it. Yeah, it's interesting, and it, and it is this thing that again, actually, it's um, it's there all the time, and people may or may not be actually aware of of it, sort of as a as a sort of a, a distinct feature. It's it's become quite just well integrated, I think, into how Facebook and and similar, you know, other alternatives on other platforms become quite integrated into how those platforms work. Um, but uh, Dave, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about how how memories are used by this this kind of feature what 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 kind of work uh, is being done on them in order to uh, kind of package them and uh, and uh, and present them to people yeah well i think i mean the, the discussion you've had there kind of alludes to some of the broader transformations this is part of really what this emerges out of an observation that social media are becoming space not just for interaction but for engagements with the past so um, they're becoming memory devices in different ways. Um, and in particular, it's the way that these biographical traces that are left as people use social media in their day to day lives can then recirculate back into their lives at different moments in the future. You know, in you have a memory to people to people told they have a memory or this is what they were doing on a particular date. Ben's done some other work about the sort of the way these are linked to sort of anniversaries and the like. Um, so we were tra- that was that was that that's the broader transformation I suppose that we that we're thinking about is that you you couldn't really have had this back in sort of 2012 2014 sort of period because people hadn't been living with social media long enough so what you've got to a point once you got to around about 2016 2017 you'd reached a stage at which the people's lives were captured or large enough parts of people's lives were captured for then aspects of nostalgia, memory making and biography to become part of everyday social media use instead of them just being interactive and sharing kind of spaces. Um, so that, that that's the kind of underpinning transformation, I think, that, that, that we've seen. And then, of course, it's a bit like with some of the other questions around archiving and data, which is how then do you access and retrieve from all the masses of stuff that accumulates so it becomes about the politics of visibility, the politics of the archive, social media is kind of archives, how material resurfaces is really important. So if you have to think, if you've got all these biographical traces, then uh, to sort of directly answer your question, Chris, the, the, the issue then is which bits of that of those biographical traces then come back to you with the label of a memory? Because you have to I mean, Ben aren't necessarily thinking these are memories. This is the way that content is labeled as a memory as it's packaged which we argue in the book is a product of the logic of social media you know that 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 label is a particular way of understanding memory and that's why it's important to to grasp so what we were interested in then chris is if you've got all this content how is it that certain bits of that content come back to you as a memory and what we then focused in on as put the broader project Ben was working on, what we on this spin-off project, what we were looking at for the book was the, pro, the the dual combination of classification and ranking. So 
what we were interested then in is, well, if you've got all this content, how's it, how's it come back to you? And what we found was the way that one of the ways this was working was that the past content was classified into different types of memory. And then within those types of memory, ranking processes were occurring, automated ranking processes that, that decided which, mem which of those memory types or which memory within that type should come back to the social media user. Now, of course, then what that means is if you've got a ranking, if you've got a classification system, somebody's created a typology, which we found, we looked at, look at in the book. But it also means someone needs some sort of measure going on to allow the ranking to occur. So measures of value occur in the ranking of memories. That's so that's kind of the system or the the, the structures that are underpinning the um recirculation of past content as memories is repackaging that we look at in the book and that's why classification and ranking is our main focus for understanding these memory making algorithmic memory making yeah that's fascinating and again it's this kind of behind the scenes um uh, kind of systems which are applying these these kind of uh, creating these kind of hierarchies creating these kind of valuing systems yeah, yeah. Um, uh, of memories and, and as you say you know kind of memories at least uh, as as the the platform is understanding it um so what kinds of things are valued by the platforms do you get a sense of that it, are, are there certain is it certain kinds of memories certain kinds of content certain kinds of events relationships yeah, yeah so what one of the, there, there's a couple of things to that what we do in the book is we look at the way that value is attached to memory by the social media platform but we also look at the way that might clash with the notion of value attached to a memory by the individual users so that's one of the things we look at but this go this starts with the typology though because you're creating a grid into which memories are placed so there's a set of values then that are attached we actually include you know we, we looked at the actual taxonomy this is why we focused on facebook but really we were thinking about the broader processes i suppose in that you've got the type of memory that go into the grid and then of course you've got things that don't go into the grid which are instantly not then classifiable as a memory because they don't fit into the the type of memory that wants to be captured now you can imagine what the types of memory are that they might recirculate in social media they're looking for the things that are positive that are affirming that engage they're the things and then when they're ranking the memories for value of course the notion of value in operation here isn't necessarily the notion of value around memory that you'd have as an individual. It's to do with uh, stickiness, levels of engagement, the ability to share, um, the type of memory that might get people reminiscing. You know, these are the sorts of, um, that this is the sort of logic that's then imposed upon the memory. It's quite interesting, really, you think about something as intimate as memory then is, is being datified and ranked. You know, that's something that you might think of as being beyond those processes. That was one of the things that I thought was interesting as well. Yeah, it really is. And it's, uh, as you said, so it's the, the things which are value tend to be those things which kind of create more content, essentially, or create more engagement. Yeah. Um, uh, and as you say, that that's, see, that that's not necessarily, again, uh, consistent with how, you know, the, the kinds of things we might in our, non-social non media based lives like to kind of look back on all the time and to, and to reminisce over might be very individual very personal 
um, and not things we would be very, uh, very keen to share even necessarily. Um, you know, the, we might be quite secretive over, uh, yeah. over the, the, the particular, uh, whether it's photographs, you know, in physical photographs we wanted to look up back on or just thoughts to, 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 to go back. To a, yeah, to yeah. Back. I mean, it, it, and it is shareability, you know, is one of those one of those things that you'd you'd think is is a key part of that of that process, really, in terms of the ranking. It's more, the, the ranking processes were a little bit more difficult to pick apart, weren't they, Ben? The yeah, they were. And I, I think it's, yeah, and I think it was partly also because we were very much talking about kind of social technical uh, kind of features here and kind of operations behind it, because it's obviously the rankings that uh, the kind of the research team at Facebook was kind of imposing. And they were going to use, we we're kind of talk about some of the things that they did. Well, they kind of run kind of large scale uh, kind of quantitative surveys and, and kind of kind of statistical mm -hmm. analysis of you know, the kind of sort of memories that people like to see on the platform. But then the problem is also is that is that when a memory is classified, it becomes it becomes you're able then for an algorithm to to rank those. And one of the things that we're kind of thinking about as well is how the how the algorithm over time starts to kind of develop a ranking purely based on what the individual likes to engage with. So there's obviously kind of a ranking from the start, but there is also a ranking that kind of is developing over time as you're engaging with material. So what kind of material are you engaging with? From whom are you engaging with it? How often are you? And the algorithm constantly learns based on your kind of behavior and, and the kind of patterns that they can extract from your data, what memories you would like to see when. And that's part of that's part of the kind of the interesting mechanisms that we're looking at is that this is the way that memories become automatic, not just in terms of, you know, kind of what memories are picked, but also how they come and come to matter to users. Um, so for example, one thing that we looked at is this, the sort of rhythms of memory that are developed within the platform. The more you engage with the feature, the more you engage with memories, not just your memories, but the memories that other people share as well. The algorithm learns then to think, well, maybe you would like to engage more with this in the future. So I found actually kind of using the platform myself, and I found it really strange that I started to see memories every single day as I went in on it. And I thought, oh, wow, do I just have a lot of past content? Well, no, part of that is obviously the more you engage with it, well, the more you're going to see it. And it creates a certain kind of a certain pattern, a certain rhythm to how you then engage with the past. So, yeah. So it's it's kind of, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk and discussion in, in academic and non-academic circles about uh, echo chambers. Uh, you know, that you start accessing this kind of content on YouTube and it just pushes more and more and more of that on you. It, it's kind of a version of that, but a very personalised one, uh, uh, perhaps. That, you know, if, if you are actually interested in, in engaging with your own kind of personal content of this type, then it will keep pushing more of that onto you. It can do. I think as well, though, that creates sort of tensions and inadequacies are highlighted. You know, it's not a kind of a smooth kind of process necessarily. Um, it doesn't, I, I, you know, I don't know if it locks you into the into the same types of cycles always. It might be that there are different types of, you know, the memory making is part of that bigger picture. Um, but yeah, I suppose it, these these are. These processes are because of the nature of the personalization can be quite difficult to unpick out what sort of patterns they do lock people into. I think for for us, one of the one of the interesting things here is the way that people respond and react as well to those to the way their past is being classified and and resurfaced for them. Um, and that and the question of the authenticity of a memory, 
you could so say you've got the, the process here where what a memory is is being defined by the kind of logic of social media but then people can find inadequacies in that we might we might talk about that a little bit more in a minute but they because we've got a chapter that sort of explores that in quite a bit of detail but it's the um the question of authenticity we use we turn to Walt Benjamin's work through the book because there's this fragment where he, he talks about how the authenticity of a memory comes from the way that we dig so we're kind of digging into our own sort of biographies and we unearth things, you know, he uses this kind of like soil metaphors and stuff. We unearth them and we mark them out, those memories. And the sort of legitimacy and authenticity, the understanding of what a memory is, comes from those processes. So we thought then it's interesting what happens when that becomes automatic and the digging is done for us within these systems. Where does the authenticity come from? It seems it perhaps comes from the kind of notion of personalization you know that it, it's it's automated but in a personalized way it's helping you to access your own past kind of thing it's got all those, that kind of of rhetoric around it before that that's interesting now it you know the question of the authenticity of the memory is it as the concept of memory is redefined and the way that that creates tensions as people react and respond to those memories yeah that's that's a really really interesting point i wonder if uh, ben could tell us a bit about some of those tensions, you know, between the way that the platform uh, presents the memories and the way that people respond to it, whether those those kind of presentations line up or diverge or or or, or how people manage that process. Sure. Yeah. And just just to kind of um, just briefly kind of returning back to Dave's point about authenticity as well. One of the things before we kind of talk about the kind of responses that people had to these. Uh, the kind of the kind of repackaging of, of data as memories on the platform. One thing that we wanted to avoid as well is is to uh, is, is to get locked into kind of like an authenticity inauthenticity dichotomy, and we wanted to kind of break that down yeah. because one of the problems that we're starting to see now is is that the line between what a real memory is and what what a fake or a shallow or a this is just data the lines are starting to blur quite a lot, yeah. and that was one of the interesting things that we found is that. A lot of the people, when they see this, they have a variety of, of, of kind of engagements with it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of kind of a lot of the things that are going on here is that people are negotiating their value of what they think a memory is and what they, you yeah. know, what they think about the platform putting the value on a memory is. Right. So yeah. one of the, one of the things uh, one of the things that we found was, for example, that that users thought that memories were um, and, and I can kind of just begin that Dave can kind of touch on. On some of the other ones, we pointed at four different ones. But one of the things that I found really interesting was how it, how the kind of platform seemed to kind of direct people's attention to certain ideas in the past. So a lot of people, kind of a lot of the participants that we talked to, well, they kept saying, "Well, I really enjoy how kind of it reminds me of this. I completely forgotten about this. This is a great." So there was this sense of that actually it's kind of bringing stuff up from the past that people aren't thinking about, but it actually creates an, an emotional and effective engagement in the present that is starting to look like a real memory. But people weren't talking in those ways, like what is real and what's not. They were often talking about like, oh, it's directing me towards certain aspects of the past that I really want to remember again. So that's what was interesting. We call that, that's actually, we call a technicity of, of attention, kind of borrowing that from the work of Tana Boucher, where it's actually the power of the, of the kind of the algorithms here is not just in terms of kind of like what's a real memory and what's not, but it's turned in terms of directing you towards specific aspects that they wanted to see again. So that's a really important point, Ben, isn't it? That 
the what we were looking at here has the capacity to reshape memory in other words reshape what people remember but it also has the capacity to reshape what the concept of memory is so there are like what we understand to be memory hmm. it's going to be reformulated here by social media potentially we had kind of three others as well didn't we ben in the um, yeah that's right analysis i think they were to do with the fact that these are kind of bit they can be seen to be reductive these memories to oversimplify people's pasts and um, they can be full of misconceptions these algorithmic memories so they misconceive what a memory is or what's an important memory um or important moment and i think the fourth one was to do with them being invasive so it could, you know, that kind of creepiness that you sometimes get when technologies get get too close to you or too intimate or start to feel like they're too surveillant. You know, those little moments where those little ruptures, the memory making was part of that, because, of course, you know, when it's recirculating your past, there's a very it can highlight the notion, you, you know, of, of surveillance of kind of database kind of capitalism and so on can be presented to an individual. So I think they're the four main things, weren't they, Ben, that we found in terms of we kind of think of them as kind of classificatory struggles because these are the, you know, the taking image in Tyler's work um, that because you, you, people are this is what we were looking at is how people respond to the memories being classified and ranked. So we were trying to find things that were specifically about that. I think another thing with, with those kind of three other aspects as well is that they a lot of a lot of the responses that people had to them was also you know they were, they were kind of based on you know not just the memory itself but their also their engagement with the platform their view of the feature so some of the some of the people also thought that especially in the misconception ones and um in in the kind of and the, the kind of where, where they were seen to be reductive was typically in situations where either the, the, the platform was seen to have too much of a role to play in memory making the process wasn't smooth and people were almost, I think one person said that it seemed artificial because the platform is trying to, it's trying too hard to, you know, show me what the past is. And actually in those moments, you know, that's where the kind of, you know, the power of, of the kind of the platform and, and the feature, it almost comes to the fore because that's, that's the moments that people are starting to become aware of, of what the algorithm is doing. And so for example, like that whole filter bubble, well, one way that people became aware of what the platform is doing is in situations where it was presenting memories that people were, I don't, I don't really see that as a memory. That that was just a thing. That's just a thing that I did in the past. I don't see that as a memory. And people started to negotiate that and started to think about why do I feel what I'm feeling? And a lot of that came down to yeah. the role and, and the active role that the platform has in kind of automatically producing these memories. Yeah, and I suppose that's a, in a sense that's where where the platform kind of obviously where the platform kind of gets it wrong. Um, and uh, so I don't uh, I I don't really I use Facebook. I don't really upload photos to it much, but um, I use an Android phone, and that has the Google Photos essentially does the same kind of thing. Yeah. And because I have a lot of problems in my house, a lot of my photos are pictures of things which are leaking. Um, that I've got to send to someone <laughs> or videos of things <laughs> leaking. So often my like two years ago today, there'll be like pictures of my niece or pictures, you know, out for dinner with my partner. And then and then just uh, it does a little kind of video, you know, video kind of collage thing. And then just lots of like water dripping down walls. <laughs> so that's an example of what you're talking about, isn't it? That it's like great, great memory. Yeah, this isn't a memory. It's just a, an annoying thing which happened. And actually, just so to show that like, I'm still dealing with these issues, and so it's still annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and and it shows as well. Like 
I think what they were saying earlier about like these platforms are we've lived with them long enough now that it's starting to do this. I mean, a lot of the things that and, and there are other users that said the same thing that the problem is, is that they didn't use Facebook enough to really feel engaged with it. So the pictures that they did get up were pictures that were way too old or, or like you said, there was like a pipe that burst in the house that wasn't really a memory or something. But I think we, we can kind of extrapolate this into the future when we've lived with features like this for another 10 years. And when, you know, the, the kind of um, the features on the platforms might have changed names, they might have, you know, changed iterations, but, you know, a lot of the data might still be there. You know, the kinds of memories that we're going to be presented with are probably going to be quite, quite a bit more sophisticated than what it is now. And I think that's one of the, one of the interesting things and maybe one of the dangers as well is that yes at the moment a lot of them are you know a lot of them are either insufficient or kind of misconceptions or they're just you know they're just like really left field but the more and more we live with these platforms the better they become at predicting what we would like to engage with in the past uh, uh, yeah i think so that makes me think of a couple of a couple of things because we'll we'll both get we'll get kind of two at least well more but two kind of scenarios i can think of which one is is there'll be an increasing amount of people who have lived with social media their entire lives you know um, so i think all all of us it's something we'll come to when we've been at some kind of advanced stage and there would be people who you know have been born into this and so in theory they're you know they're they're kind of uh, sonogram you know a a picture of them in the womb might be on there and right up to kind of graduating from university or whatever so that really complete picture but then there's a second kind of there's a sort of attention with that which i think it is is in the way in which people move on from or or never engage with social media. So it's become a cliche to say that, you know, now that Facebook's for all people. Um, I saw someone, I can't remember who it was, said on Twitter the other day, they were really devastated that one of their students told them that Instagram is for all people. And, you know, uh, and uh, they're actually, uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, it's all about TikTok or, 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 or whatever else, Clubhouse and things like this. But that kind of process kind of, con- you know, um always continues so yeah. we might have our whole lives kind of catalogues but it might be also become very person maybe increasingly um partial fragmented um depending on who owns what platforms obviously and all these kinds of issues so yeah i think that there could be different different kind of trends going on there at the yeah. same time yeah this i mean this takes us back your, your previous example about the the water dripping down the walls you know that the phone is that your phone sim or whatever um, might might be one of the one of the mechanisms. I don't. I think really though, it's to do with the fact that you've got a, the past is uh, playing an, a more significant part in media consumption. People's in their when I say the past, I mean their biographical past mm-hmm. is playing a greater part in people's media consumption. We focus on examples in order to bring those processes to the fore and to conceptualise them. But actually, it's across quite a range of media, including on people's phones. That's so that. The, and the other thing to say about people's social media use is um, that what I think is going to happen is probably that people will be using a broader range of social media platforms rather than thinking that they use one. They'll have different networks in different platforms and be using them for different things. I think that's probably where the direction is is going with it. You may see some fall away completely. Um, as their functionality and as networks move and their functionality is overtaken 
But I think you'll probably find that there's a combination and, and the different networks that people tap into through the different social media platforms will present them with different versions of their own past. So that could get that that could be an interesting thing to think about in the future, potentially, when you've got your phone and your different social media competing to give you a, a more shareable version of your own past, perhaps. But um, we don't know exactly. But I, I think this is part of a longer engagement with people's own pasts in their through their their social media and other other, other media devices i think um an engagement biography part of the reason for this is um you need you know that social media is full of spaces that need to be filled um uh, they the these social media platforms can't expand much larger in terms of number of users quite often but what they can expand is the amount of time that's spent in there and the level of engagement of users one of the ways to do that is to present people with past content that they can share and comment on you know it's it's creating these anchor points for interactions i think quite often that that is seen as being important within social media spaces and so, of course, you're looking for memories that provoke nostalgia or the engagement or the you know, excitement and so on. Um, so that's where the logic of social media is important. That's why we think this is important. I mean, it, it, if I can just say one thing about the importance of this, you know, because we, we, people might think this is just something about social media. But really, you know, what, what we were trying to engage with is something I think that's about um, how individual and collective memory is, shared, is, is, is being reformatted. And therefore, it's about how identity, notions of the past, social connections and social ordering are being reformulated by an algorithmic use of data and algorithmic systems in people's everyday lives, deeply embedded in people's everyday lives as well. Yeah, that, that's that, that's extremely important. And that, that does make me think about a couple of things again, that, um, of course, what what you're describing and what social media in general and, and potentially kind of the internet in general but certainly social social media is very interested in, in is emotional and kind of engagement uh, and there's been lots of kind of work done around this and, and of course this kind of um um uh, dredging up and bringing up of the past is is very much targeting that and it's it's that kind of emotional engagement that they're very interested in and there's there's been lots of debates around kind of how this relates to kind of you know, affective capitalism and you know emotions kind of feeding these kinds of uh, uh, these kinds of these kinds of platforms and of course that's very important and th it's very important to understand how that functions i think this is a really important aspect of that but of course a, a specific aspect of this um, is is that issue of nostalgia yeah um which, which of course is kind of is very prominent there and again there's been lots of debates around this but uh, we've seen arguably seen a kind of a um an increase or at least a kind of a, a resurgence in in nostalgic kind of thinking across all kinds of media not even not just kind of different kind of social media but you know kind of entertainment media and and, and other things and potentially of politics as well and there has been kind of an argument uh, from some people that that is um if not inherently at least often strongly conservative in its uh, in its kind of formatting in the sense that it's it is by is by definition backwards looking um and and potentially at least sometimes uh, uh well usually having a kind of a sort of a rose tinted view of what the past was like um is is that something is that kind of that that potential conservatism or that kind of backwards looking aspect is that something which you see as coming through in in these platforms is 
it, or or is it doing something else? I think I think part of it was uh, so, so. For example, one of the things that we write about is is how one of the things that the platform does, uh, and this relates back to an earlier point, is that it algorith algorithmically tries to filter out what it considers as a good memory and a bad memory. So so what is considered a bad memory gets filtered out. Now those are completely kind of arbitrary and kind of social categories. What, what a good memory is and what a bad memory is. I mean it, it you know it, it might differ from person to person, but that is that is almost like a, a kind of like a rule that you know, that the kind of Facebook applies. And that obviously feeds into like, what are they trying to achieve? So a lot of the, the kind of memories, they are revolved around kind of positive memories. We're gonna try and not show you people in your lives that maybe have this, you know, that have been deceased or people you've broken up with because it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't kind of lead to kind of positive engagement, kind of quality engagement with the platform, what they, what they were setting up. Obviously that can have, you know, a very, big impact on what people say, like what they think about their own pasts. Because if, if you're only seeing kind of the positive aspects, you know, what impact is that going to have, you know, in terms of, you know, what people think about themselves, what people think about others. So it's obviously that question. But I think it's also the question of, it, it kind of, it kind of brings the point to that these kind of memories, you know, they are being negotiated by people, that there is an element of that there are clashes as well. And that's what we're trying to show is that, even when people are only seeing positive memories, people are aware to some extent of what is going on in many cases. So it does create spaces where this, there seems to be quite a bit of tension and negotiation there. I mean, the other aspect as well, which I, th I think feeds into this, is the problem is, is that there was a statistics that was released by uh, Facebook that said, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, but people on the platform, especially the, the longer they're on there, tend to post less and less so people compared to when the platform started where people were posting quite a lot there was quite a high engagement in terms of what people were sharing and posting on the platform whereas it seems now that there's much less original content in terms of posting a lot of a lot of it's just kind of sharing kind of pictures and, and tagging people in, in stupid videos or something and the whole thing about resurfacing the past of people in some ways can be seen as it's quite an easy almost like an easy fix to it, because it's always easier to share a post that you already like from the past than coming up with something brand new yourself. So it almost becomes like quite an easy, you know, way for the platform to keep people engaged, to keep people, you know, kind of sticking to the platform. But is that a kind of, um, there's a potential kind of problem there for the platform, not silly for us. And what that really makes me think of, it reminds me of, um, you might have the similar experience. You know, I've got um, you know friends from when, way back from when I was in school, from when I first started school, that kind of thing. And what you sometimes get as you as you kind of get a bit older is you find you don't create new memories so much with with some people. You spend when you when you get together or if you have a WhatsApp group or whatever, you mostly talk about things that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago, depending on how, on how old you are. And um, but of course you are in, you are creating new memories, but the and you are creating new experiences, but those are sort of dependent on those those old ones. And it, it seems like a, a, there's an, almost a mirroring of that. Uh, and especially if we think about, if we agree that Facebook is sort of an aging platform in terms of its demographics, you know, that kind of sort of fits with those people. And as you said, people post less and less. And there's a potential, is there a potential um, problem there or, or, or just in issue, I suppose, of that constantly kind of regurgitating past content, both for the, maybe for the platform itself, 
and its longevity, but also for those people involved. Is that a problem or is that just a, is that just a kind of a feature? Well, yeah, you might you might get trapped in a sort of do you remember the time when we remembered that time that remember that time sort of thing. But <laughs> I, I think the other thing, the, the thing is though, that what this is where the reconceptualization of memory comes along. These things don't need to be very long ago. So you don't, they don't need to be distant past type memories. They can just be like, here's something happened a year ago kind of thing. You know, you're not you're not necessarily thinking of memory as being a kind of longer held type of thing in the way that you you're discussing there. Um, do, you, do you mind if I quickly go back to your question about politics, Chris? Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, of course. Um, but because clearly, I think, the, although the book focuses on social media, it, it does interface with broader questions about the politics of memory, doesn't it, Ben? And mm. we, we were thinking in those terms, because what we're thinking is, well, what if, you know, these algorithm systems are reshaping collective memory? Then that does have potentially quite large scale transformations. Um I don't know about the, the the picture you painted about the nostalgia. Um, the reason I don't know about that is because what we're seeing is something highly personalised. So what I think that what we're seeing really um, through the work we've done and that, and you know, reading Ben's other work as well, is that you, you're seeing this kind of personalisation of memory, which changes the nature of collective remembering. So... I think this is part of a broader set of transformations around fragmentation, really. So you've got if you if memory is entirely personalized, then what does that mean? So where you've got if it could be social movement, social transformations, major events and stuff might be part of people's memory making as well. But here, what we what we're seeing are these very personalized kind of um small social group type memories that appear and that people are responding to. So I think what the, the way I would answer your question about the politics of, of this, uh, Chris, is to do with it being about the, the broader cultural fragmentation and that and what that means where for social ordering and social connections and divisions. And I mean, if, I, if you don't mind, very briefly, just turn to my pre previous book about George Zimmel's concluding thoughts. You know, he wrote about the fragmentary character of life. Um, now, when people are routinely presented with their own past and can access events and so, you know, through YouTube and there's all this massive archive of, of, the, of the past and everyday lives and so on out there. Well, what, what Zimmel says is the more you've got these fragments, the more fragments they are, the greater the possibility then for assembling them to, to, to suit the version of the world that you want to be, that you want it to suit. So you can assemble, we could look at the same fragments and assemble them into our own version of the world. So you can create very different versions of the world from those all those many fragments that are in our contemporary media platforms, I think. So that's a potentially sort of empowering aspect for kind of authoring our, being authors, authors of our own lives, individual. Yeah. Yes, I mean, Zimmel's saying really, the Zimmel's point is to do with the way that you can then reinforce very different versions of the world. So it's about tensions, really. It's about difference and tensions and the problems of those incompatible views of the world that can emerge when you are able to construct it so differently. I said it's, it's not really an answer as such. It's more of a kind of potential way of thinking about what we're seeing, which is to do with a, a heightened fragmentary character of life that you get within social media platforms, potentially. Um, 
heightened personalization can can create these ruptures and you know so um i'm not sure about whether it's empowering i mean really it's more just to do with thinking about the politics of these things and the politics of memory could be part of a story of fragmentation couldn't it you know that comes with personalized media yeah absolutely um this has been so fascinating and um, thank you for talking to me i'm really um I'm, I'm a big fan of this book, uh, like saying, and, I, and I really recommend uh, everyone who's listening to, to go out and, and get hold of it and, and read it. And um, I, as you mentioned, there's, there's so much there to kind of push on for to in the future. And I think um, that uh, potentially, you know, the, the future of platforms is the past, maybe, but um, or, or using the past. But, um, but um, there's, there's lots of uh, interesting work to be done here. But so. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for talking to me, um, Ben and Dave. It's been great. Thanks. Thank Chris. you Thanks very much. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. OK, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Ben and David. So if you'd like to hear more about about what they're up to, you can follow Ben on Twitter at BN underscore Jacobson. And you can find David's website at davidbeer.net. Anything you'd like to uh, get in touch about about this episode or the series, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Chris H. Till or find my website at thisisnotasociology.blog. You can subscribe to the podcast uh, by searching for Digital Sociology Podcast uh, in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. So thanks again for listening and see you next time.